Well, um, I've got a text. It's from the reading that we had a few minutes ago from Pat. It's um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and the last few words. Last five words, actually. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 ends. Train yourself to be godly. And let's pray before we look at the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the word of God is living and active, like a double-edged sword. And we pray that the truth of your word might cut deeply into our hearts and minds and souls and cut out that poison, that uh, harmful matter and cause us to train ourselves to be godly for your glory and honor and for our temporal and eternal benefit. Amen. I know you know the story because I must have told it to you many, many times already, but Michelangelo was um, walking along the street one day and he saw another um, artist who was bringing a great big block of stone on the cart and that Michelangelo said to him, what do you do with that block of stone? And the artist said, I've looked at it and I can't make anything from it, so I'm just taking it back to the uh, dump to get rid of the block of stone. You can't do that, said Michelangelo. Give it to me. He said, there's an angel in there. And he took the block of stone home and he chipped away in it and he made that beautiful statue of the angel. And you know, you might look at your lives and say, I'm just fit for the rubbish tip. I'm just... Uh, matter for the dump. But you know, as Jesus Christ looks at you, he says, no, no, I can make something beautiful from you. But we don't just sit back and let it all happen to us. We see here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 that we have to train ourselves to be godly. So my first point is, we need to train ourselves to be godly. It's easy to remember that point, isn't it? Um, you, you imagine the story. It's been told many, many times before. Uh, Sebastian Coe comes and knocks on your door, and he says, we've been doing research, and we found that you are the perfect person to represent Great Britain at the Olympics running the marathon. <laughs> and you say, what? <laughs> he says, yes. He says, I'm... Uh, will you do it? He said, well, give me time to think about it. He said, all right, I'll come back next week. So he goes away. So that evening you think, well, I, I better, you know, practice if I'm going to run the marathon in the uh, Olympics. So you set out to run your 26 miles, 385 yards, and you get down to the lamppost, and you then stop <laughs> and gasp for air, and you walk back. Uh, and the next week, Sebastian Coe knocks on your door and says, ah, well, what's your decision? Will you represent uh, Great Britain at the Olympics running the marathon? And you said, I can only run down to the lamppost. He said, I didn't say if you do it today. You've got four years. We will train you, and then you'll be able to do it. And you know, many of us, we, we try to be holy. We give it one go, and we give up. <laughs> and you know, we have to train ourselves to be godly. And the baby steps go a little bit like this. First of all, you need to be converted. I remember before I was converted, 
I wanted to find peace with God. And I thought if I read my Bible every day, and if I go to different churches, and I wrote out a list of things I was going to do and wasn't going to do, and I tried to make myself godly, thinking that God would accept me. And all that happened is I became a total hypocrite, totally uh, failure, and in utter despair, one day I turned to Jesus Christ and said, I can't save myself. And he saved me. And that was the beginning. Well, we don't make ourselves godly in order to get to heaven. We need Jesus Christ to save us. And then we can begin to train ourselves to be godly. But the first mistake we make is that as soon as we are converted, we think we're going to be holy forever. We think, wow, this is good. And for some of us, we have such a powerful conversion experience that we're actually, you know, as it were, being carried on a cloud, walking on the air for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we think, this is wonderful. And temptation doesn't seem to feel powerful at all. And then suddenly, wham! <laughs> and we're not for six. We think, oh, I can't be saved. Oh, this is terrible. I can't be a Christian. I, oh, I'm not living a godly life. And so you go and talk to your minister uh, and you say, look, I thought that after I was converted, I was going to be holy and godly and never sin again. And he says, no, I would have to cut your throat if you were going to be like that. <laughs> because it's only when we die that we're going to be totally holy. But in the meantime, we can train ourselves to be godly. But what happens then? First of all, we think that just because we've been converted, we've got the Holy Spirit within us, we're going to live a holy life. We find it doesn't work like that. And then what happens is we take another uh, baby step and we think, we think we've got to pretend that we are living a godly life. And we've got, we've got, to, we've got to pretend that we are actually strong enough to defeat the devil, and the temptation is no real problem for us. And so some people, they, they live a totally hypocritical life, pretending that they are super spiritual when they know they're not. Some people, they just live a compromised life, and they say, well, it's good to have a besetting sin. It keeps you humble. You know, it's all right. It's good to sin, really. I remember a minister telling me that. It was horrific, really. Others become really, really legalistic and they make rules of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And uh, I remember a minister telling me that you can't watch telly on the Sunday, but you can listen to the radio. <laughs> I couldn't quite understand the, the difference. But people make rules and think if you obey these rules, then you're being godly. And we find that we still are a total failure. We cannot make ourselves godly in our own strength. It's a bit like this. It's a bit like you're a deep sea diver, but unfortunately the mouthpiece doesn't fit very well and the tube that goes to the oxygen cylinders has got some holes in it. <laughs> and the oxygen cylinder, it doesn't quite, the valve doesn't work very well. Uh, and as soon as you uh, go swimming underwater with it, um, it doesn't enable you to breathe. It just gets the, the salt water in it. So someone gives you a new diving equipment. And so you know what you do. You put your old diving equipment on, and then you put the mouthpiece over the holes that are getting on there, 
and you put the new oxygen tubes at the back trying to prevent the uh, oxygen from escaping there and then you try to swim underwater with your old equipment and just being a little bit improved by the new equipment. It doesn't work, does it? And if you're anything like me, as a young Christian, you think that because you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you can now defeat sin in your own strength and you can live a godly life in your own strength. And you find it doesn't work. You keep failing. And then, as you grow a bit and take another baby step, you find that the Bible doesn't say, sanctify your old nature. It says, mortify your old nature. It says, put off the old nature and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you're trying to do is not make your old oxygen cylinders good enough, but you get rid of your old oxygen cylinder and you put on the new one and it's so much better. And so many of us were thinking that because we've got the Holy Spirit, now we can defeat sin in our own strength. And we find we can't. We have that sinful nature and we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to put to death the sinful nature and we are to put on the new nature. And we do that by faith. So that when we're facing temptation or whatever, we don't look in here and say, strength from inside me to defeat sin. No, we look to Christ. And we say, help me in this situation. Give me your strength. I want to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I don't want to be trying to live the Christian life in my own strength. My own strength will fail me miserably at every turn I'll fail. I need his strength, his mighty power. I need to put off Chris Kelly and put on Jesus Christ. I need his strength for the battle. And then we start discovering that we're actually living a spiritual life. We're knowing the power of God to live day by day. And it's wonderful, but we mustn't stop there. We come on to... Here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, that we've put off the old nature. We've put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in the power of the Spirit, but we're still fallen people living in a fallen world. And we have to train ourselves to be godly. There's a battle still going on. And we can't just sit there and say, well, I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got the Holy Spirit. I can just stay on this escalator that's going to lift me up to heaven. I don't have to do anything. No, we need to train ourselves to be godly. Now, the women's euro. I can mention this in the sermon because we've mentioned it in our prayer. And, uh, and you see these um, young ladies playing football, and they're pretty good, aren't they? And um, they have to train, don't they? They didn't just choose 11 people out of the telephone directory and say, come and play football for England. No, they, they, these were people who've been training for years and years and years. But they've not only been training physically, they have to train themselves psychologically as well. 
because they know what it is when they're 1-0 down and they've got to then have that psychological strength. Yeah, we can still win. Otherwise, they just get defeated and end up 6-0. And they not only have to train physically and train psychologically, but they have to train to work as a team because no one can do it all. They have to work together. And we have to train ourselves to be godly. So my first point was we need to train ourselves to be godly. My third point is how to train ourselves to be godly. So don't think I've forgotten that, all right? <laughs> I'm not just telling you what to do and not telling you how to do it. But I've got another point in between. And my second point is the different areas needing training. All right, so we've got to train ourselves. But what areas should we be training in? And the answer is given in verses 12 to 16. Now, you won't believe this, but some years ago I joined the gym. I, I really did. And I, I had to go for an orientation day. And I went there, and uh, they s- took my pulse and took my blood pressure and asked me some questions. And then they started showing me the different bits of equipment. And they showed me the running machine, and then the cross country skier, and then the bicycle, and then the rower, and then the weights. And uh, I said, I I just want to do the running machine. I don't want to do anything else. No, you've got to do them all. You've got to be well-rounded. And I remember going and sitting on the weight machine. And um, I I saw the guy doing it. I knew what to do. He did it. So I went and um, sat on it, and it wouldn't move. (laughs) And I realized he had locked it. So I went and asked him, could he unlock it? He said, it's not locked, <laughs> it's got the weights on it. I couldn't budge it at all. I saw I needed training. But um, there are all these different areas. And Paul tells us here in 1 Timothy 4 the different areas where we need training. L- look at it. First of all, in our personal godliness, look at verse 12. Don't, look down, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in Speech, taming the tongue. This is the greatest of all the battles we face, really, to tame the tongue. I know we need an awful lot of improvement in this area, and I don't think I'm the only one here who needs to um, train in godliness with regards to our speech. But it's so easy, isn't it, to exaggerate? It's so tempting to say, well, it's only a little white lie. And sometimes we can be so hurtful or cutting with our words. And the tongue is like a fire. It can set a forest ablaze if we're not careful. I wonder how many of us need training in godliness in our speech. Secondly, set an example for the believers in speech. It says in my Bible, in conduct. When Pat read, the uh, 1984 version says, in life. It means your lifestyle, your use of your time, your use of your money, your use of your home, how you do your job. How many of us need to train in godliness in our life and conduct? And thirdly, in our love. Hmm. Always doing the loving thing. Even when you want to do the nasty thing, you do the loving thing. It's hard work, isn't it? Yeah. Ah, and we need to have this second nature that always 
is loving. And then fourthly, faith. Trusting in God's word. Trusting in God's promises. When all the television and the media is anti-God. When the Christian church seems to be compromising. We are going to be people of faith. We believe what God says. And we're going to trust in God's promises. And sometimes it's really difficult. And we need to train ourselves to be godly, to be people of faith. And then lastly, with regards to personal godliness, it's purity. This is our relationships. This is our lust. This is our TV viewing, our video viewing, our internet viewing. This is our greed and our honesty with regards to money and these kind of things. Anyone need to do any training in godliness or is it just me? Okay, I think it's more than just me. Then we move on to public godliness. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Now this is what Paul would normally be doing. But Paul can't be there. So he says to Timothy, look, until I come, you do what I was doing. And sometimes we have to do jobs for other people because they're on holiday or whatever. We step into their shoes and it's not what we would want to do. It's not what we would choose to do. It's not what we would really like to do. And we don't really feel using our gifts, but it's got to be done. So you find in Acts chapter 6, the apostles were waiting on tables. Now we know that their gifting was evangelism, prayer, preaching. But it needed to be done. And so they needed to do it. And we need to look around and say, what gaps need to be filled? Might not be my gifting, but someone needs to do it, so I'm going to do it. And Paul tells Timothy that while, while Paul's way, Timothy is to do this. And then he says to Timothy in the next verse, verse 14, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid hands on you. So don't only do my job and fill the gaps, but make sure you're also doing what God's gifted you to do as well. Use your gifts to serve. Use your gifts for others. And finally, progressive growing in godliness, verses 15 and 16. He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And he's not talking about saving ourselves from hell. He's not saying if you do all this, you'll be saved. He says if you do all this, you'll save yourself from the wiles of the devil, the attacks of the devil, which in verse 1 he says, the Spirit says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. And so he says, you need to be doing this so that you will save yourselves from that. So my final point. Hey, this is good, isn't it? It's only quarter to 11 and I'm on my final point. I got 27 sub points. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. That was a lie. <laughs> my speech needs improving, doesn't it? I've only got three sub points. But this point third point is how to train yourself. So, ladies, Serena 
Weedman comes around and says, we want you to join our football team. And you've got to come training. And you will be expected to train hard. Men, Eddie Jones comes and says he wants you to play for the rugby team. Well, you're going to have to go training and train hard. Everybody, Jesus Christ says, follow me. And we're going to have to train ourselves hard in godliness. So, first of all, mind. Secondly, heart. Thirdly, will. How do you train yourself? How do you train your mind? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, to be transformed through the renewing of your mind. And if we're going to train ourselves to be godly, we've got to make sure we're thinking in a godly way. Some of us, we think our traditions are good enough, and we just accept our traditions and follow them blindly. You know, that's the way we've always done it. I got an email from someone and he said he was a visiting speaker and he preached from the Bible and coming out, uh, a person in the congregation tapped his Bible and said, we don't need that, we've got our traditions here. <laughs> and you know, we can be like that if we're not careful. We're just slaves to our traditions. Or, some of us, we just follow a gut you know, I've got a gut feeling that that's not what we should be doing. I've got a gut feeling that she's a nasty person. <laughs> I've got a gut feeling that Chris Kelly's a heretic. And, you know, we can follow a gut feeling. We, 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 you know, we just feel it. Now, feelings can be important, but we're not to be ruled by our feelings. We've got to renew our minds. Now, some of us, some of us, you know, we went to Bible college or whatever, or we've done a correspondence course, or, uh, and we think we know it all. <laughs> we think we've got it all sorted, and we know what's right, and we've become really arrogant. You know, we need to be transformed by the renewing, going on renewing of our minds. I had left Lansdowne for just about a year or so. We had a visiting speaker. He was a principal of a Bible college. And afterwards, I went to speak to him. I said, look, I said, I'm really concerned. But I've started to change my theology on certain things. And, you know, I feel really worried. What, what's happening to me? You know, I, I'm changing my views. He said to me, he said, you know, he said, it's called growth. <laughs> That was really kind of him to say that to me. We, we've got to grow. You know, when we're young, yes, we know things, but we've got to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we've got to be renewing our minds, but don't be all mind. There are some Christians who are just mind Christians. I got a phone call from a mission, from the Barnabas Fund, actually, and it was talking about a certain person. They said to me, they said, he's got the head the size of a planet and the heart the size of a pea. And you know what it's like, don't you, when you meet people like that. 
They've just developed the brain, just their theology, their doctrine. You know, they can quote the scriptures in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Latin, French, German. They know it all. But there seems to be a hardness and a coldness and a dryness and an arrogance and a hostility there that is anything but the loveliness of Christ. So don't be just mind. Yes, study your Bible. Study your Bible every day. Psalm 1 says he meditates on the law of the Lord morning and evening, every day. He's growing in his knowledge of Scripture. Learn from the sermons. Read good books. Listen to... um, Stuff on the internet. Be renewing your mind. But that's not everything. So we move on secondly. Heart. Not just head, but also heart. This is our spiritual experience. And we need to have warm hearts. We need to have hearts that beat with love for Christ and love for the lost and love for one another. We, we need to every day, not only learn and renew our minds, but we need to draw near to God. We need to come to the throne of grace where we meet with Jesus Christ who sits upon the throne. So we need to, in prayer, draw near to God. And in praise, as we sing his praises, we need need to put our whole heart and soul into it. So we're really being caught up to praise him. And we need to make sure it's not just the music, a new tune that makes me jig, but the words. There's something here that is glorious. And we're worshipping God, praising God. Uh, And we need to meditate upon the things of God. You can walk through the hills and see the beauty of creation and you can worship the creator. And you can meditate on these things until your heart throbs with love for Jesus Christ. We need to have a heart that feels the things of God. But don't be all experience. Just as people who are all head can be a real problem, people who are all heart can be a problem as well. I was six years old. I can remember it because my little brother was born the day after my sixth birthday, and I can still visualize my mum pushing him in the pram, And it was the first day I was allowed to cycle home from school the main road. I used to have to cycle on the back road, but this time I was allowed to cycle on the main road, which meant I went down the town hill and around the corner at the bottom towards my house. And I can remember my mum there in the pram at the top of the hill, and I can remember on my bike just letting go, well, my pedals, and letting the bike take me down the hill faster and faster and faster and faster until it came to turn around the the corner to the left and I couldn't turn the bike and I went straight across the road right in front of me along and I can remember my mum trying to run the hill pushing this old pram and I hit the curb, the high curb, I flew off my bike, I flew over the pavement and I hit the uh, pebble dash uh, of the solicitors over the other side of the pavement and I had a powerful experience. (laughs) If only I'd had some wisdom and knew that I needed to keep my hands on the brake going down the hill if I was needing to turn a corner. But I didn't, it was just all feeling, it was just all the emotions running from me and it just ended up with an awful crash 
And you know, there's some of us who are just led by our feelings. Oh, we listen to tapes, we love the music, we listen to all these songs. It's all we read lovely devotional books and we watch lovely devotional uh, programs on the God Channel or whatever. And it just whips up our emotions and we just live on our emotions until a problem comes. And then we have no real solid foundation. It's just been an emotional high and the bubble pops and we can't cope with the leukemia or the brain tumour, or the death of a loved one. We've got to be mind and heart, but don't stay with heart either. We've got to go on to will, to action, to putting it into practice. We've got to be people who have a Christianity that follows Jesus Christ. We not only believe these things with our head and feel these things with our heart, but we do these things with our actions. So we help with the food bank. We help with CAP, Christians Against Poverty. We help our neighbours. We help with the youth clubs. We help with the Sunday school. We serve at church. We do whatever we can do. We find what gifts we've got and we lay them at the feet of the church leaders and say, look, what would you have me to do to serve the church? With our money, we give generously. With our time, we give generously. With our energy, we give generously. We're going to be people who are doers of the word as well as hearers of the words. We're going to put into practice the things we learn week after week. But don't just stop there. Just don't be a person who's all action and there's no worship and there's no uh, doctrinal foundation. Have them all. What did Paul say there at the end, verse 16? Watch your life and doctrine closely. And in our Bible reading this morning, we listened to our daily bread. I don't know if anyone else follows our daily bread, but it was all from Philippians 3 about the Apostle Paul saying about he was aiming for these things, but he hadn't already attained. And even the Apostle Paul says, I haven't got here yet. And he writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, train to do this. I'm not there yet, but I'm progressing. You be progressing. And through Timothy, he says to us, you be progressing too. Train yourselves to be godly. Verse 16, watch your life, your behavior, your faith, your prayer life, and your doctrine, what you believe, and where you stand closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Michelangelo saw a block of stone and he recognized it had an angel in it. Jesus Christ sees a block of flesh and he recognizes that it's someone who can look like him. And we pray, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Wouldn't it be fantastic if everybody in this church was like that? Wouldn't it be fantastic? Wouldn't it be fantastic if everybody except for you was like that? No. <laughs> you know, it would be fantastic if just you were like that. But if all of us, if we are determined that from this day on, we are going to train ourselves to be godly. We're not going to stay just where we are. 
We are going to be the best we possibly can be. And I can't do it all by six o'clock this evening, but you know, as the years go by and I'm growing, so my life will reflect the beauty of Jesus and it will affect those around me as well as affect me. How wonderful that will be if we train ourselves to be godly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would put your finger on those areas of our lives where we need to be concentrating so much on training to be like Jesus Christ. We pray that in our personal behavior, in our homes, our marriages, our families, in our relationships, in our world of work, that we will be like Jesus Christ. We thank you that we aren't expected to do this in our own strength, but we can know the strength that God supplies. We pray that we would find that uh, ability to put off our old nature, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be growing in grace and training in godliness, that when the wiles of the devil come our way, we will be safe and others around us will be safe too. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.